Hi there, Beth Ralphs here. I'm not with Kenny and Amanda this week, but instead of bringing you five stories from social media, this week we are taking the time to celebrate and take part in the discussion around Hispanic Heritage Month. Today, we will examine five mistakes and misconceptions we make about the Latinx and Hispanic community. We're examining the larger issue of the single story and the stereotypical narratives in advertising. The five things we will unpack are feeding into tropes, assumptions based on looks, the idea of wanting to assimilate, assuming all members of the Hispanic community think the same way, and finally, the idea that the Latinx community doesn't belong in the United States. Joining me today are two colleagues of mine who I'm very excited to have on the show. First is Carol Chang, who has been a planning director at Gray for three years. She's worked alongside clients such as Nestle, Lint, and GSK. Carol is a co-host on our other Gray podcast, Gray Matter, and has joined us on the five things earlier this year. And next we have Rodrigo Jatini, the chief creative officer of Gray West and a member of the Gray Global Council. Prior to Gray West, he was the CCO of Gray Brazil. With over 19 years of advertising experience, he's worked alongside brands in almost every industry. Carol, Rodrigo, welcome to The Five Things. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So let's jump in. When you guys think about the way that Hispanic culture is often represented in advertising and some of those tropes that we see, um, what are kind of the prevailing stereotypes and where do you think that comes from? When I think of tropes, it's usually we are either portrayed as the maid, the housekeeper, the narcos, the gang member. Um, I feel like if we're if 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 we're talking about men, you're either you're intimidating, you're the criminal, or you're goofy, you're the token. You know, think Fez from that '70s show. Um, and then for women, you know, women are typically portrayed as either servants or they're vixens. You know, they are Salma Hayek, they are Sofia Vergara, um, and so we're often put into these like ridiculous buckets um, and just portrayed as, as something that is completely one dimensional. Um, and it's just not accurate. It's not an accurate portrayal of, of who we are. And it's, I don't know, it's not, it's not really fair. I don't know where it comes from. <laughs> I guess it's just, it comes from the way we're viewed. And if that's the case, that really saddens me. I think we're much more than that. Yeah, I think, I think that it's, it's absolutely right. And I think that we, we, we're always having these conversations. I mean, it's, it's broader than advertising, right? And then there are so many uh, other examples uh, in which Latino uh, and Latinas uh, are excelling uh, in, in the world of music and entertainment. And like uh, we were talking just last week about uh, how many great uh, uh, movie directors, uh, Latino movie directors we have, and they're not talking about the stereotype every now and then, right? I mean, if we just name, just to name a few, I mean, we can talk about Alejandro Iñárritu or Guillermo del Toro or Alfonso Cuaron. And they've done films like uh, Harry Potter and The Shape of Water and Birdman and The Revenant. There's nothing to do with Latino culture, but it's Latino talent right there being represented in a completely different way. Uh, and there are so many uh, Latino talents in advertising, just to go back to the first, uh, to the first topic. Uh, and it's just weird why the product that we see out there has to be more stereotypical than than the pro the, the people that produce it, right? So it's kind of it's kind of uh, interesting to look into it. I mean, this can be like the entire conversation about uh, Latino st stereotypes, and and we can spend like hours and hours talking about it and why this happens. But the problem is, it does happen, um, and and there's something uh, we need to we need to do to change it. Yeah, but, but this is happening because it's not us portraying ourselves in this way. This is happening because we are written in these scripts. We are written in these movies and these television shows by um, predominantly white 
folks. <laughs> I mean, to put it frank, we, we're not writing ourselves in this way because when you, when you look at the way that we articulate who we are, that's not how we depict ourselves. We are much more than that. And, and, and if, if you are going to tell, let another person tell our story, that is how they're going to see us. That is what they've been exposed to. They have very little, limited exposure to our community, and that's all they know. They, they may only know their nanny, their housekeeper, and that's unfortunate because we're 60 million of us. It's 60 million of us. It's just... Uh, uh, unbelievable that they just know their nanny. They they know us. They know like different Latinos in uh, completely different posi- positions and, and industries and areas on, on society. So it's kind of weird. It's more or less like we're we were talking about this the other day. Like it's like the Americana, uh, but applied to Latinos, right? I mean, it's always this this stereotypes and the and the little things that when white people describe Latinos, uh, that's how they the first things that they they. They, 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 they pick from the shelf. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, let's talk about this. Let's talk about the gangs. Let's talk about uh, the narcos. And let's talk about the things that are a weird depiction of, of an entire, like, 60 million people in the country. So Some of that is on us, too, because many times, and I'll speak for myself here, but I know a lot of um, people who identify as Latinx do this as well, but we code switch and we are only a certain version of ourselves when we are around white people. And as a result, they think, hey, my coworker, hey, my friend, so-and-so is exactly like me. And so they're not Latino. They are like me. They're my friends. Who is Latino is, you know, someone who is who they don't relate to, who is a gang member. They're others and you're part of me. And it's, it's just, I don't know, it's, it, the whole thing is messed up. I, I, do, I don't want to be part of this, and yet somehow I am. That's really interesting. Um, I, what I've experienced in terms of advertising going about reaching the Hispanic community in a very bad way, for lack of a better word, is also comes from clients a little bit. And the purchasing power that the Hispanic community has is huge, right? So every client is like, we need to talk to the Hispanic consumer. And I think that that idea of otherness is where we see a lot of that in this world where it's like, you can't, you need to somehow speak to them in a way that feels distinctly different from how we would speak to a white population. And that leads in almost to these lazy tropes of, can we put a grandma in or a multi-generational family that I think we all roll our eyes at? Have you guys had any of those experiences with clients where you've had to almost defend an entire community because you were the person in the room that represented that community? I I, I have, but I think that Carol can speak to that uh, way better than me. I mean, uh, in the end, she's the expert in the Latino community. I'm, I'm, I just happen to be Latino. Uh, <laughs> and I, I know what I know by experience, just by living, uh, but I'm not a, a, an actual expert in the Latino community, but I've heard it multiple times. Like, let's talk about Latino. Where's the Tia? Uh, we got to have a Tia right there. Like, uh. he said, that's not a thing. I mean, maybe, but it's not because of that that you're 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 gonna address that community better than any than anything else. So, uh, but yeah, it's it's kind of weird. I, I want to. I think that Carol can 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 walk us through that uh, way better uh, from her experience producing <laughs> commercials and, and and campaigns that require that. Thank you. I mean, I think what you're what you're pointing at is, yes, I am for many years have specifically worked on multicultural campaigns. But the reason why I have such an extensive experience in that specific field is because I worked at a traditional shop where they were doing things and portraying Latinos or any person of color or, or black individuals as something that I did not. I just didn't think it was right. So I was, you know, 22 years old and I was very quick to raise my hand and say, hey, (laughs) that is not accurate or hey, that's offensive. And I quickly became 
um, what I affectionately call the brown police, um, (laughs) because I had to stop it. I could not allow the agency where I was working to produce things that I just I, I knew was inaccurate or was was going to be damaging to our communities. And so I spoke up. So as a result, yes, now I have all this quote unquote extensive experience on multicultural, which is, uh, it's just like, even, even just talking about it makes me feel uncomfortable at times because so much of it is, is rooted in, in bias. Um, so much of what we have to come across is, is rooted in bias. And, and even the way that advertising looks at these different communities by bucketing them as like Hispanic marketing or African-American marketing can, can be problematic. It's, it's really frustrating because so many times they're doing this for their bottom line, but they're doing it in a way that they're feeding into all of the tropes that, that we, you know, we caution them against. Um, I have dealt with this very often in my own career um, and honestly, it's, 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 it's tiresome. I'm, it's exhausting to constantly have to teach people around you on how to properly represent the way, I guess the way I deal with it, I tell, um, I speak to clients or, or people on my team, um, in the same, using the same vernacular that they're accustomed to hearing. So I allow them to open up their minds and start to think about Hispanic consumers specifically as as a a segment, as a persona, and not you know just by defining them by how they culturally identify. So, for mm-hmm. example, I say that because how would we treat any other segment? How would we treat a quote unquote millennial mom target? How would we treat um, you know a, a, a retired uh, investment banker, if that's the persona, like how would we treat them? We would follow the data. Uh, that's exactly what we would do. We would go into our sources, we would search for that whatever demographic, that mindset, and then we would f- allow the data to tell us what our target thinks, feels, what they listen to, what media they consume. And then that makes sense. And then Lo and behold, the data often tells you or debunks a lot of the biases you have. For me, the way I deal with it, I just allow the data to prove the point so that I don't come across as the angry Latina in the room. And I just let the data speak for itself. Well, you know, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that we've gotten around not all millennials are the same not all women are the same not all men are the same but for some reason that the cultural ethnicity bucket seems to be a trickier one to get out of and I think part of that is because there's this assumption that all Hispanic people behave the same way and that they all look the same way what do you guys think about that yeah I think that that's the most problematic thing uh, of all the things we're discussing here because I mean if you look at Latin America we have 20 countries uh, and 20 different cultures and 600 million people living in Latin America right now and, and 60 other million living in, in the U.S., but not from one background, not from one country, uh, not from one political inclination or diff- it's completely different. I mean, you cannot compare a, a Cuban with an Argentinian, with an Equatorian, with a Bra- uh, Brazilian, with a Mexican. I mean, they're completely different people. Uh, they just happen to share the same geography uh, in, in, in the world or being born there or, or not even being born there. Uh, there are so many, like Carol, uh, people who were born here are 100 percent Americans. Uh, but born to uh, to Latino parents, and it's just it's just wrong uh, to assume that oh he's Latino he's exactly like that or she's Latina she's exactly like that because it's I mean the when we do this uh, we are putting everybody in the same box everybody in the same bucket uh, and there are so many buckets uh, I mean I took my for my experience in Brazil it's like a two hundred and twenty million people uh, from. Absolutely, I mean, com- completely different uh, backgrounds. Uh, I'm not even a Latino, to be honest. I, I just happen to, born, to be born in Brazil, but my parents are both from Lebanon and Italy. 
So I'm Middle Eastern and European, uh, but being born in Brazil and coming to the U.S., I'm automatically considered Latino and I belong to that. I'm kind of forced to belong to that bucket, which I which I'm proud to be in, really proud to be in. But at the same time, it's kind of uh, weird uh, for people to see you and assume things that you are. Uh, not knowing your background, just knowing that, oh, he's from Brazil, he's Latino. Oh, yeah, there's a lot more uh, to unzip. I mean, if, you double, if you double click uh, and you start to unzip person by person who lives here and uh, is proud uh, to be Latino, it's like a multitude of backgrounds and cultures and, and everything, basically. What I always have to remind people is that being Latinx, being Hispanic, um, it's, it's an ethnicity. It's not a race. Um, we are a mixture of so many different races. That is the, the, the root of where we came from. First of all, race is a social construct. So <laughs> don't get me started on, on, on that. <laughs> but, but, but this idea, like people assume that everyone, all Latinos, they all look a certain way. They all look indigenous. They all are of a certain hair color, certain height, certain, you know, body type, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just like absolutely ignorant way to think. Um, Mm -hmm. We are every single race. um, We can be Latino and we could be black. We can be white. We can be Asian. Um, A lot of people get thrown off because my last name is Chang. And I'm like, yeah, um, my grandparents migrated from China to Ecuador. And, and that's how my lineage was started. Um, but I was born in the U.S. Um, so I consider myself a Hispanic American, Ecuadorian American. Just even my background will show you just how mixed we are. Many of us have Spaniard roots. Many of us have Black um, ancestors. We have um, indigenous ancestors. My family is from Ecuador. So we are mainly indigenous. But, you know, just looking at me and Rodrigo, we have very different backgrounds. We come from very different places. We also like were born in in two very different countries. Um, And so our experiences are going to be extremely different. Um, Obviously, we have similarities, but but unfortunately, because of the world we live in, the color of skin and the features that you have will dictate how you're treated as, in the U.S. and beyond. And that's another another very interesting thing that you said uh, right there, Carol, because uh, I don't know if it happens to you, Carol, but uh, all the all the Latin people that I know, the Latino people and Latinx people that I know uh, in the U.S., they used to be defined by a different color back home. Uh, and this is something that's very interesting. Uh, like myself, I've always checked the white box uh, back in Brazil. Uh, I have some friends that have always checked the uh, black box. But here, we are all of us put in the same box that says Hispanic Latino. Uh, and it's you, you touched that like just seconds ago. Is it? Isn't it? Uh, I don't know. Is there any... Uh, uh, expert explanation for that because it feels weird for you to have to change your ethnicity to belong somewhere isn't it yeah I mean so I was born in the U.S. so I've always I've never checked the white box um and at least my family is darker skin so when they were back when they lived in Ecuador I can't imagine them them checking that box but um, I do have some friends who are originally from Mexico, and they told me a very similar story where, you know, back home they were white and all of a sudden they are not, um, which is kind of an interesting conundrum. It's like this idea where like in one country you have white privilege and then you come to the U.S. and all of a sudden you do not have that white privilege at all. Tanahese Coates um, talks about whiteness as a social construct. And I think, you know, many of us are in agreement with that. However, I think what he, what he starts to go into is around this idea that not, ev- not everyone that we currently consider white was always considered white. So a perfect example is Italians or the Irish community or the Jewish community. They, or in some cases, that's in some 
areas and certain uh, in certain groups, that's still the case. Um, but for the most part, in 2020, those groups are still are, are now considered white. It has changed depending on the political circumstance. Today, Hispanics do not count as white, quote unquote. Um, and I'm fine with that, but uh, but I do believe that this idea of whiteness does have some kind of political power, some kind of cachet in the United States. And eventually, they're going to want to separate the 60 million of us that identify as Latino, and they're going to want to pin them, uh, pin us against each other. We're already seeing that today, unfortunately. Um, but I do believe there's going to become, I do agree with, with my favorite author. Um, and, and I think there will be a time where white Latinos will be considered part of this white race in America. And it's going to be created simply because it'll be easier to divide us. It's, it's, it's an unfortunate reality, but I mean, I think this, this, this idea, it's, it's this division based on the color of skin is something that, you know, I am vehemently against. And, you know, I can only see a very destructive world for the future if that's going to be the case. I think something that you guys both have kind of touched on is also this idea that the Latinx or Hispanic culture wants to and is seeking assimilation into the culture in the United States. And and what does that kind of prevailing idea of assimilation is the only way to exist in this country um, or that assimilation is expected or even wanted by everyone in the community? How does that impact um your day-to-day and then also kind of how we position the Hispanic culture and advertising. Mexican Americans have been in this country for a very long time because the border crossed them. Many of them did not cross the border. That's a different story. In terms of Caribbean Hispanics or Hispanics from South America, many of us are fairly new to this country, maybe a couple of generations max. Um, and I think the expectation in the early 1900s and the mid-century was that, or even as recent as the 1990s, was that in order to succeed, we needed to adopt um, American values. We needed to assimilate. We needed to fit in. Um, And I think many of us, my family members included, kind of accepted this notion of we can be Latino at home, we can be Ecuadorian at home, but once we are in public, then we have to have to behave a certain way. I remember very distinctly that um, when I was a child, being in an elevator in like some mall in Queens, New York, um, being in an elevator with my mom and my and other people and And when we were alone in the elevator, she would talk to me in Spanish because that's how we communicate with one another. But when other people came into the elevator, she immediately stopped talking and then motioned for me to stop talking. Why? Because us speaking Spanish to one another, as we normally do, um, would make other people uncomfortable. And so then she basically taught me that lesson that day. And I love my mother. So, you know, I, th- I think she was well-intentioned, but the lesson that was taught was you need to silence your voice in order to make other people uncomfortable. And unfortunately we're now 20 in 2020, and there are remnants of that in our culture today. There are pieces of that lesson that are still embedded in me. And there are moments where in advertising, where yes, we do claim to be very progressive, but there are moments where I do silence my voice because I, I don't want to anyone to exclude me. I don't want to feel other. I want to feel the same because the same wins at the end of the day. The same gets promoted. That's the lessons that I see from everyone around me. And so I do... Tr- there are moments where I, I just innately will silence myself. And then there are moments where I have to kind of 
coach myself in, within my inner mon monologue and tell myself, no, you can be yourself. No, that makes you special. No, you don't want to work at an agency where or any place or be in any kind of situation where you can't be yourself. Now, thankfully, I've had great coworkers around me that applaud um, me for, you know, speaking my mind and having a different perspective. To claim that it doesn't exist is just, it's not accurate. It's not an accurate portrayal of, of what it is to be Latino in advertising. It's just, it's just interesting how our, our perspectives uh, are, are, so, are so different, right? Because, I mean, you were born here. Uh, you lived your life as a Latina, and I'm kind of learning how to be a Latino. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just here in the U.S. for two and a half years, so I'm, I'm learning a lot. And I think I've been so lucky uh, to come to California because, uh, I mean, as you said, uh, the border crossed the, uh, the, the Mexicans were here. I mean, I mean, just judging by the names, from San Diego to Los Angeles to San Francisco, I mean, they're all like Spanish names. And, and it, the state itself is like more than 40% Latino. Uh, to be honest, and uh, the LA County is more than fifty percent, forty nine percent, I think. And if we judge, I, I judge by my kids' schools, for example, like more than fifty percent are Latinos. So it's like commonplace to hear people speaking English, uh, speaking English, or speaking Spanish, or speaking Portuguese, or Chinese, or whatever the other language. So I, I think that LA's, uh, I mean, at least my experience in LA. Obviously, there are so many. Uh, um, Kind of tense and and stressful uh, parts about like the, the the being a Latino here too, but at least the respect and the sense of community uh, that I feel uh, in LA and in California in general is very positive. Uh, I think that it's it's a place uh, that accepts. Uh, um, I mean, I I, I totally understand that that different states can can be very different uh, about this, but it's a place of of. Uh, tolerance and acceptance you know what i mean like uh, we we see lots of different families uh, and people like just coming together as as one community uh, that's my 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 experience here and and i feel like i've always felt fine and 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 safe to speak my mind and to speak my language uh, with my kids both at home and and now uh, in the agency it's just so funny because you know, we we are such a small agency out here at gray west and like half of the people come from different parts of the world, from Korea to India, to Ecuador, to Brazil, to Peru, uh, and obviously lots of Americans. Uh, but it, I would say that it's the reflection of what of the makeup of this city is like a melting pot of cultures. And, 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 and that's what we that's what I love about it. Uh, and, and coming from a place and assessing my privilege, uh, privileges from the past, uh, being a white man uh, in Brazil in a very racist country uh, that I fought a lot, but uh, it is, there's nothing I can, uh, can do about it uh, as of now. Uh, just recognize that it is a super racist country. And being from the privileged community and coming to the U.S. to be part of an, the minority and embracing this, uh, I think it's been such a, a great learning experience for me. Uh, and, and hearing your stories uh, as being a Latina since you were born in the U.S., it's it's just so, so enriching to, to hear those stories and, and to try to mix and match them with uh, with mine. It's, it's kind of it's kind of very interesting. It's such a it's so funny because I deal with this with with my family, too, because Latinos were so inherently optimistic. It's such it's just a big part of our culture. We just always see the glass half full. And I think that feeds into our resilience. I love that about the culture, unfortunately, because I was born in the U.S. I see the optimism, but it's made me super jaded. And it, 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 it just has. Um, it, it's, it's very difficult for me because I feel like in many ways, some of my family members, because they don't run in the same circles as I do, because they're, they, they're often very much surrounded by other Latinos, they only like speak to one another and they know racism exists. They obviously experience it. They may experience it more than I do. Um, but it, it's just not like in their face. 
Whereas like for me, because I was raised in New York, was raised um, in all white schools at times, like at least for my elementary school, was um, put in circles where I like, I don't want to say past, but I made people comfortable enough because I sound like an American, because I sound like a New Yorker. People felt comfortable enough to, to disparage people, other people in my community in front of me. And they thought it, I, I was going to be completely okay with it. And I think these kind of interactions have made me very like cynical or jaded around the Latino experience in the U.S. And it's unfortunate. I, I mean, I, I live in a very diverse place, but I think because of the circles that I run in, I, I've run into um, a, a smattering of, of, of discrimination, of derogatory language. If it was not directed to me, it was directed to someone who may look like me or who may look like my father, who may look like my mother. Um, I think what people don't, a lot of people don't understand is that I may not have an accent, I may not look like that, but that still hurts me to my core um, on a human level. And I, you know, I don't understand how it doesn't hurt them to, to say such hateful things about my community. I think the more that they say these things, the more it makes me want to double down and be, you know, <laughs> and be very um, confrontational or speak up about these things or speak up about other communities that are also experiencing these things, uh, these injustices. Yeah, I think I think that there's one, one, one very important thing that works for this subject that we we're talking about for every other one. It's not because you're not seeing it that it doesn't exist, right? I mean, you, you, the more you talk to people and the more you learn and the more you tap into those uh, subjects, uh, the more you learn that those things, even if you don't see them just because you happen to live somewhere else or you don't belong to that community, just because you don't see them, don't assume they don't exist because they exist and they depend on you to 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 be changed. And I don't know, just like uh, I think it's on us, uh, all of us, to do uh, everything we can to 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 guarantee that those type of things don't happen. Oh, well, it's on us to educate ourselves and to learn a little bit more empathy, because you you don't need to experience it firsthand to have empathy for one another. And I think that's the lesson we've learned. And that's, you know, the lesson, that's the way that I hope to, to, to evolve myself, to, to push others around me. I mean, I, I hope there's a light at the end of the tunnel for America. I want to be as optimistic as you or my parents are. I really do. I really do. There is one thing that define Latinos. I would say that's op optimism is, is is one of them. I mean, it's almost like a pattern that's repeatable to every country yeah, throughout throughout the region. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not it's not time for like silly optimism. It's time to 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 realism and to assess the, the problems we have in 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 an actionable way. Yeah, Carol, you touched on empathy, and I think it's. For me, it's kind of a mix of empathy and understanding. And uh, one of those, taking it back to the beginning, one of those kind of single stories that we see happening that totally lack empathy and understanding is this, this idea that people who are Latinx or Hispanic all think the same way, that they all have the same political views, that they all like the same type of music, that there are these fake almost what people would think truisms of the community and the culture that totally strips out the humanity of like the person and the choices that they make. Do you guys see that as something that's real and impacting advertising and your life and your role within um, your agency? I don't like soccer. Fun fact. I don't <laughs> It shocks everyone. everyone. Well, let's, let, let's stop right there. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean my family is all from a country that is huge, huge fans of soccer. I mean, diehard fans of soccer. I am not one of them. I I don't follow soccer. I'm actually not a practicing Catholic. Um, there, there's just just so many things about me that, like, how do you say? So I can contra the goes against goes against uh, what you think uh, a, a Latino is. 
I mean, we, the United States, again, we keep going back to 60 million. We're 18% of the population. We are the biggest minority group, ethnic minority group in the country. We come from so many different places. And now, in the, just even in the U.S., like we live in all the state, all 50 states. We don't all live in the like top 10 markets. We don't live all live in New York, Miami, and LA. Uh, many of us live in Colorado. Many of us like hi- hiking. <laughs> um, you know, we have different political views. We like different music. Um, you know, it's just, it, it, it's, it's really funny. It's, it, it just really, it really depends. Um, you just need to get to know the Latino in front of you, or if you're in advertising, the Latino you're going after, the Latino you're targeting, you just need to get to know them. You can't make any assumptions anymore. And even this definition, these truisms are constantly evolving. What I'm I'm seeing today, at least, and, and this is something new because of the advent of social media, of the advent of the internet, but there are Latinos that are now uniting all around the world. And we are now, you know, in in many ways, yes, there are differences, but now there are all these new new similarities. You know, now we're all, you know, advocating for the same artists. Now we're all advocating for the same, um, not, not all, but many of us are advocating for the same, um, you know, political structures or charity or, you know, I've, there's just, there has been this galvanization of Latinos all around the world that are now pushing forward this definition of who we are. And that Mm -hmm. definition is evolving day by day. So, you know, it's hard to keep track, honestly. I, I I agree with everything you said, but football, but but soccer. I mean, I'll I'll, I'll keep calling it football for the rest <laughs> of my life. Right? I think that it goes it goes back to what Carol was saying right now. I mean, I think that the definition of Latino uh, and the bucketing of Latino, the just putting sixty million people in the box, it just feels wrong. Uh, they don't fit in the box uh, because first of all, because they're different enough to be in that box. And second, because there, there's no, no such a big box to, to kind of mess them all. So I, I really think my, my, the thing that is always on my, on my kind of direction, the direction I use for that is let's think about them as humans, as people, uh, normal people uh, that like, may like the same things as a, a, a white person likes, or they may like this very same type of music that a, a black person likes, or that happens to be uh, as good as in, in, in anything like a, a, an Asian person is. I mean, it's kind of weird for us to uh, put these buckets according to ethnicity uh, when we're talking about so many, many people. Uh, Obviously, that there are some subjects that are Latino first subjects and, and they attract more Latinos than any other uh, segment of the society. But you don't have to treat it as a Latino, uh, um, try to find a Latino idea for that. You, you, you shall understand because there are no Latino ideas. Uh, there, there's, I, 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 I actually challenge everyone to make an idea that works for uh, Mexico, Cuba, Cuba, Argentina, and Brazil at the same time. I mean, it's impossible. You cannot do that. Uh, so how can you do that for Latinos that live in California, Texas, New Mexico, Colorado, uh, Alabama, and New York? I mean, it's impossible. They're just like people that may be very uh, much more similar to the people they live uh, behind or just by their side and their coworkers, regardless of their the color of their skin or their backgrounds, uh, than another person that looks like uh, and talks like them, but lives in the, in the, the opposite uh, uh, coast, for example, or in a different state. So it's kind of difficult uh, for from uh, an advertising uh, communications perspective, uh, it's almost actually, actually not nonsense to try to come up with Latino ideas or Latino uh, ideas that will resonate in Latino community because Latino communities are very different from each other. They just happen to, to speak the same language. Oh, not even that, because Brazilians don't speak Spanish. Uh, <laughs> Brazilians speak Portuguese. It's not even the same language. And Brazil uh, is like one third of Latin America right now in terms of populations. Though. Obviously, it's like very low here in the U.S. Uh, compared to uh, Hispanic speakers or, or uh 
hispanohablantes, uh, but it's not even that. Um, it, not not even the language is the thing that that agglutinates them all. I mean, okay, so they're more religious. It's not true. Caro is atheist. I'm atheist too. Um, the, I, I I don't believe in God. I'm so sorry. My mother would be crazy that I'm that I'm talking about this, but. Oh, I mean, she happens to be very Catholic. Catholic. I, I am not. Uh, My mother does the sign of the cross whenever I say that. <laughs> I mean, that, and, and everybody thinks that every Latino is super Catholic. It's not true. Uh, I mean, we're just like killing the myths here. But uh, the, the, the thing is, everything we know about Latinos should be, uh, everything we think we know about Latinos should be reassessed. Uh, and we should like look at them, look at us, look at this minority who's big, too big to be considered a minority. I mean, 20% of a country is like just too much and treat them as humans and, and treat them as part of, of society and not a, a, a not like a, a, a part of the society that lives on the skirts or, or, or something like mm -hmm. that. It's, it's center, it's front and center of, of, of whatever, everything that we do. Like from ten of your friends, two are uh, or two should be uh, 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 Latinos, and you don't treat them different just because they are Latinos. They're your friends, uh, but then why why would you do it differently when you when you're creating a campaign or you're writing a strategy and 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 everything that we do on a daily basis, right? So that's yeah. that's basically yeah. That that's my my point of view on that. Both of you have said through this whole thing that a lot of what differentiates. Latin culture is the country they come from. Don't you think that culture is what gives people the bubble and the context that they live in, not their ethnicity that they would check on a form when they register to vote or go to a doctor's office? Well, isn't that what America is all about? Aren't we the land of the free, the land of opportunity? Aren't we Ellis Island welcoming immigrants? When did that stop? When the immigrants started to, you know, look like us, that's when that's when it became uncomfortable. Um, I agree with everything that you're saying, Rodrigo. I think we need to acknowledge the fact that we are an intersectional bunch. We you need to acknowledge our the intersectionality of us. You need to acknowledge how multidimensional we are, how multidimensional we are. Um, I think it's 2020. We need to acknowledge our own biases. We need to make an active change in our lives and the way that we think. We need to actively be anti-racist. We need to learn how to be allies to one another. And part of being an ally is learning the other person's point of view and respecting that. I don't think we do that enough. I don't think we question why we think a certain way enough. I don't think um, the way we've been doing it in the past was necessarily the right way. That's fine-ish. <laughs> but now let's clean slate. Let's take a pause and let's try to be better. Instead of dwelling on, 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 on the past and what we coulda, shoulda, woulda done, let's now take a pause and, and think about ways to improve. Think about ways to better engage your audiences. If you're not properly in learning about your audience, engaging them, then you're not being a good marketer. End of story. Clap, clap, clap. Yeah, I, <laughs> I second everything you yeah, said. Yeah, slow clap. <laughs> Great. So this idea that we kind of see in the United States a lot, that if you are Hispanic or Latin, that you don't belong here, that you weren't born here, that you are in some way, shape, or form an immigrant. Um, how does that impact the way that you exist in America and the way that the community is portrayed. Okay. So first and foremost, a majority of Latinos who live in the United States, you can identify as Latinx or Hispanic, whatever you want to call it of us who, I, who live in the United States, many, a majority of us are U S born. So let's start there. Secondly, um, you know, obviously many of us, 
have not only been born here, but many of us are permanent residents or we're U.S. citizens, whatever the case may be, or even if even if we're not, <laughs> even if we're not, who's to say who belongs here and who doesn't? We stole this land from Native Americans. There is no, who, who are any of us, except for the Native American community, to claim this land? So let's start there. Secondly, I am so tired as a U.S. born American. I am so tired of my, the, my existence being questioned. Um, you would think that because I have, you know, I, I do have these privileges in my life. I do run in certain circles. You would think that I do not, um, I do not experience this, but that's completely false. I've experienced xenophobia quite a few times in my life. I've been racially profiled. This is just unacceptable behavior that's happening in this country and this idea that certain people can dictate who can belong in this country and who who does belong in this country and who doesn't is 100% not only problematic but it is absolutely dangerous. We've t- I am all about patriotism. I am I am a proud American at this but I don't want us to take this patriotism and turn it into um this dangerous nationalism and 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 extreme view of xenophobia like i just i've seen it um i've seen it get worse and worse over the years and it, we've we're reaching a point where you know it's it's starting to fan the flames of you know civil war era we're we're starting to get into like honestly nazi territory and i i i cannot have this. this is not why my family migrated to the united states we're supposed to be the land of the free the land of opportunity what what you know there are millions of other families like us who migrated here from underdeveloped areas who look like us and yet we are flourishing and we are providing so much for the community um, beyond economic growth, but value that is intangible. Um, so I'm, I, I think this is the most important topic because when we talk about Hispanic Heritage Month, so often do we talk about the fun and the music and the merengue and the tacos and, and everything that we contribute to this country. And I think that's I think that's great, but I think it leaves out a huge, huge topic, which is who who belongs and who doesn't. Um, and I'm tired of it. I just this is not. <laughs> I, I just this question gets me so fired up because I am U.S. born, and so there is a certain entitlement that comes with that. Um, you know, you would think that you would never be questioned um, when you are from here and you sound like this. I obviously sound. American, and yet I, I am. There have been several instances. Uh, the other day, I was talking to Rodrigo about, you know, I went to a client meeting, and um, at the security desk, um, you know, you always have to show your ID when you show up at a client meeting, you know, through the security check, and so you show your license. And uh, I was the only one that was asked to show my passport. Um, maybe it was because I was in Texas. But it was clearly because they assumed that I was not U.S. born and therefore needed to leave the premises immediately. Um, so you can only imagine, I see, Beth, your mouth agape, <laughs> but you can only imagine how that makes you feel um, as yeah. an American and how humiliating that is. Um, but these are the kinds of things that we're dealing with today. So this is a super important topic and something that, that we all need to address and something that is not talked about enough when we, when you talk about Hispanic marketing, we don't talk about this because this Mm -hmm. makes people uncomfortable. Yeah, I think that, uh, I second that too, Uh, but there's another Maybe philosophical, I think that we are getting to the end of it, right, Beth? So, I mean, I may drop, uh, a bit of philosophy here or maybe cheesiness uh, for us to to think about it but i strongly i strongly believe that no bo- no, no border should define us uh, mm-hmm. i i really I, I really do i mean i don't sound american i don't look like american uh, i need 
a paper with a stamp on it uh, to cross the border. If I don't have it, I'm not allowed in here. Um, that is designed, the system is designed for you to feel like you don't belong. Uh, it is feel like that. I mean, I, I am not a citizen. I was watching the debate uh, because it influences my life, but I'm not considered a, city, a citizen. I would never be considered a citizen. Uh, and that, that can hurt you uh, on one hand, but it, but it can be very liberating on the other hand. Uh, say, I mean, it's not for someone to tell me what, where I belong and when I belong or not. Uh, it's on you to say, well, I feel like this is my place in the world. I choose to belong here. Uh, even if people, I mean, I'm obviously considering all the hurdles and all the troubles and all, all the difficulties that, that, that are to be part of a minority group uh, in a country like uh, the US. But also the same happens everywhere in the world. I mean, and, uh, xenoph uh, xenophobia and uh, intolerance, uh, those things happen, uh, they're, they're not ex exclusive to the US. Uh, though there's throughout the years, so many people and, and migration and immigration have been uh, happening for such a long time. I mean, that's, that's what pushes the world forward. I mean, do you really think that the US wouldn't be, would be the US that we know now if hordes of immigrants uh, uh, have, uh, haven't come here. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's not the same. It's a completely different thing. It, it would be completely yeah, yeah. different. And I think it's on us to feel like we belong and to fight for it. Uh, and together we can help others fight their fight and feel like they're, they, they, they really belong here. Because in the end, I think that, as I was saying, that no border should define you. Uh, you belong forget about the borders uh, bring down the walls and we belong in this world. We share this, 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 this little sphere in the universe. So that's mm -hmm. our place in the world, uh, in the universe. It doesn't matter if it's in Los Angeles, in New York or Stockholm uh, or Sao Paulo, uh, there's a place for us and we need to choose where this place is. Uh, if we're feeling that you don't belong in a place, just, you have to fight for it. You have to fight to belong. Uh, if you if you feel like it's it's worth it, and it's more or less like that. I mean, uh, I was forced to believe that I don't belong here for all the hurdles that I have to jump over, uh, from the passports, the visas, the stamps, the lines in the airports to get in, and the walls they try to build, and uh, like all all this this kind of things. But in the end, if I want to be here, if I feel good here. Uh, I think that there's always ways to fight and there's always people wanting you uh, or people trying to help you uh, uh, fight this fight. And I think that I mean, we have lots of clients that work with that, like the Southern Poverty Law Center. I mean, th those are championings of this war. They, they want to mm -hmm. help people belong where they want to belong. They don't feel like they belong in, in Mexico. They want to belong in the U.S. Why, why can't they? Uh, they are valuable for this country uh, in, in, in a way. So that's that's basically my assessment of this. Uh, I mean, even not being a citizen here, if I want to belong here, I want to find my allies uh, and 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 make sure that I can belong uh, uh, here. Because in the end, I mean, all of us <laughs> belong in the world. So it's a little cheesy and philosophical, but I think that. I don't know. Uh, if we start to think about this, there's no reasons for borders to exist. I mean, let's let's just mm -hmm. share this world and, and and make the best out of it, uh, and try to help the others, and and all this this kind of thing. So, I, I I also don't believe in borders, and a big part of that is because of my upbringing, because of my family members. They all come from a different country, and therefore, it's really hard for me to think that certain people. Um, deserve our empathy and certain people don't because to me I'm like whoever needs help deserves to get it I don't care about certain groups before ahead of other groups because some silly border you know tells me to like I am American but I I, I still I mean I'm, I'm I am American and I do love my country but at the same time, I just, to me, I just have a different mindset. I have a more global mindset. I think about people, humans on this earth, on this planet, versus humans, only Americans. I, mm -hmm. I, I just, 
it just goes um, against my ethics. Um, you know, that gets into, <laughs> unfortunately, because of the world we live in today, because of the country we live in, it starts to, even just that idea gets into a political space. Like, you know, should we care about Americans first? Should we care about, you know, people from other countries? So, for some reason that gets into a political space. From my point of view, it's just having empathy. That's it. Rodrigo, what gives you hope for the future? Humanity gives me hope. Uh, and the sense of justice gives me hope. Uh, and people that are really interested in treating each other uh, with empathy and just bringing it closer home a little bit. Brands, there are more concerned about leaving a legacy to the world than making their own profit. Uh, that's what gives me hope. Uh, when I see the, the, the movement of uh, uh, conscious consumption uh, and when I see uh, companies, uh, they're purpose-led and they're really trying to make a difference in the world. Uh, and luckily I have partnered with a couple of them, a handful of them, maybe more than that, uh, throughout my career and it's always a super rewarding kind of experience uh, because you feel like you're doing more than just uh, helping someone sell something you're helping people sell uh, you're helping about brands selling uh, people selling into uh, uh, purpose and 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 ideas more than just products and services so bringing it very close to advertising this is what uh, um gives me hope uh, that we're that this new generation and looking at my kids and looking at my kids uh, friends uh, that they're growing with that in mind you know what I mean like it's not acceptable uh, to do the things we've been doing uh, since the beginning you know we, we got to change this at some point uh, and demand more and and want more and 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 have a purpose on the things we're doing uh, otherwise it's just like it's Everything is just like done. Uh, yeah. We gotta, we, we gotta, we gotta change it, and that's what gives me hope. And I think that uh, as ad, as ad advertising people, um, and I'm very passionate about this industry. I I truly believe that advertising has the power to change uh, people's minds, uh, but we gotta have the power to change the way brands are doing things uh, to not even help them sell, not even help them make profit, but actually help them think uh, and design their their purpose, their products, their services in order to leave a legacy to the world. So that's, that's what gives me hope. Carol, same question your way. What gives you hope for the future? Honestly, Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter gives me gave me so much hope, continues to give me hope. We have united as a movement around the country, around this singular topic. We have questioned our biases. We are questioning um, why color of skin should dictate behavior. We are questioning our own actions. We're pushing uh, employers. We're pushing ourselves. We're pushing our neighbors. We're pushing our family members. We're having uncomfortable conversation. And that is, we, we, I'm so thankful for the movement and for all the allies and for all the people who have joined together to try to make a difference in the world. Um, you know, I talked, I talk about intersectionality and, you know, Afro Latinos are a big part of the movement and, you know, and often we don't talk about that, but I think we need to, um, acknowledge our role and, you know, and also how we may benefit from the movement as well. Um, I'm happy we're having the uncomfortable conversations and, you know, I've already seen changes from brands, from people, um, from, you know, even the NFL has changed, you know, um, and that honestly gives me hope. It, it makes me proud. Those are the things that the, it makes me proud to be an American when I see so many Americans unite for, you know, for justice. Makes me happy. Makes me happy, too.
Well, Rodrigo, Carol, thank you so, so, so much for your time today. This has been an incredibly rewarding conversation for me to be part of and to listen to. And I hope our listeners get the same out of it. Um, you both are great. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us. <laughs> yes, thank you. Happy Hispanic Heritage Month. Well, that's it for us this week. We'll be back in your feed next week, breaking down all the latest in social media. If you'd like to reach out to us before then, you can email us at podcastsgray.com. And please check out the listener survey in the episode description. We would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to The Five Things. The Five Things are written and researched by Andrew Patti and Grace McDougall. Produced by Joey Scarillo, Danielle Hunt, and John Dillon. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.